Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. In our current series, Perspective, A Different Way of Thinking, we would dive into the book of Philippians and ask God to change our perspective and how we do life. We are, we're studying uh, on the book of Philippians. We're calling it Perspective. We're just trying to see life from the perspective, perhaps, that Paul taught to the Philippians. And we're, seeing, we're teaching tonight on sin from a different perspective. And I want you to I want you to understand that this book this book is a fabulous book. It's got 19 re- references to joy, joyful, be joyous. It's got 16 references to the mind. So in other words, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in here about an attitude. Because when the when the Lord starts talking about your mind and He starts talking about your joy, that that kind of says get your mind on joy and get happy. Amen. Amen. So that's about attitude. Before I start, I, I read some cute stuff, and I just want to share. A state policeman stopped a car one day for doing 19 miles an hour. And, he, and he, when he walked up, he noticed there was five little old elderly women in that car. And, and, and uh, so quickly, uh, he, 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 the officer looked inside, tapped on the window, she rolled him in. She said, Officer, what are you stopping me for? He said, I'm not doing anything. He said, I was going 19 miles an hour. What are you stopping me for? He said, and he caught it. He said, ma'am, he said, uh, I'm, I'm concerned about you going so slow on a busy freeway, busy highway. And she said, well, I was going the speed limit. He said, no, ma'am, this is Route 19. <laughs> now, that's funny. And so he started, he started to go back, and he noticed the other four women had not said a word, and they were, they were very ashen and very uh, looked fearful. And so he, he, he came back to the woman, and he said, can I ask you why your friends are acting like they're scared to death? She said, oh, we just got off Highway 119. (laughs) Another little cute older story about an older woman that was driving a Cadillac, big Cadillac. She pulled into the last parking space, fixing to in front of a busy store. Just as she maneuvered her big car, into the parking space, two young, smart-aleck kids in a small convertible zipped in, bounced out of the car, and announced, that's how it's done when you're young and agile. So without hesitation, the woman smashes her Cadillac into the little sports car, backs up, hits it again, backs up, and smashes it again, rolls down a window and said, that's how it's done when you're old and rich. (laughs) I thought I'd get you started tonight with a little joy. This is called Perspective. We're studying the book of Philippians, and we're in the third chapter this week. Anybody remember seeing the old movie? It's kind of creepy as a movie. It was called The Sixth Sense. Anybody remember that movie? The key line that the boy would say was what? I see dead people. It's kind of creepy. I don't want to sound spiritual tonight. I really don't because I'm a very practical pastor, but I need to announce something to you tonight. As a pastor, I see things that many of you don't see. I really do. And in reality, many of you see things that I don't see as a pastor. Here's the key thought. I want, you to, I want you to write this down. What you've experienced, folks, determines what you see. Say it with me. What, we, what, what we've experienced determines what we see. For example, when I grew up, I played a lot of different sports. Patty, on the other hand, didn't play sports. She, she, just, she just didn't do it. But she was really, really into music and the arts. She's, she played in some plays in high school, and she was into music and arts. And today when we go to a sporting event, 
I see things that she doesn't see. I can see a play developing. I, I can almost call the play sometime before it happens, and I'm not bragging about that. It's just a fact that I have the ability to do that because that's what I was raised in. Maybe a bad call, maybe a foul that wasn't supposed to be called. And, and, and she has questioned me, how do you see that? How do you know what's happening in that game? And I don't have an answer. I just grew up in it. That's all it is. And, and I see it, and she doesn't see it. On the other hand, when we, uh, when we go to musicals and, and perhaps the theater sometime, Patty can see things. Uh, she gets into those kind of things. In fact, Patty can almost have worship in some of those songs that we've heard in some of the musicals we've gone to. Patty sees things that don't move me, like Tom Selleck, <laughs> like Harry Connick Jr., like James Taylor, and recently, like Tom Hanks. It just doesn't move me. But I can't talk to her in some of these moments because she's seeing something I don't see. <laughs> she's sitting over there. We'll talk about it after a while. She didn't know I was going to preach this. I can't fully appreciate those moments, but Patty's even better than that. She watches American Idol and The Voice. How many of y'all watch that? You like that music stuff? She watches those things. She can pick a winner during the tryouts. She can absolutely just about pick the top five. She said, baby, that girl can sing, that guy can sing, and I think this guy's going to win it all. I can't do that, but I really don't care to do that because I don't make it my business. In the same way, it's the same way with church leadership. I've been doing this a while, and I can walk into a church environment many times and immediately see what's working and perhaps what needs improvement. Other people walk in and say, hey, it's just church. They don't realize. And they don't see what I see because they hadn't experienced what I've experienced. But if my car breaks down on the side of the road, some of you guys and some of you gals, you open the hood, you can go, here's the problem, and it won't take you five minutes. You can shut the hood and start the engine. It's going down the road. I'll open the hood. And I'll look in because that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> but if it's not on fire, I don't see anything, you know, so I call Grady Foshi. He's the man that can fix it, but I at least know how to open the hood and make it look like I'm doing something proper. <laughs> Reality. I see things that some of you don't see, and you see some things that I don't see because what we've experienced determines what we see. The Apostle Paul was talking to some people in the church that he started, and it was actually a church that he loved. He really loved that church because it was started in a lot of pain in a Philippian jail. And the experiences that he saw, some things that he wanted to share with them that they had not seen and didn't see. He had perhaps experienced more of the sinfulness of man than most people alive and more of the goodness of God than most people alive. And because of what he had experienced on both sides, he saw things they didn't see. Let's start with sinfulness. Paul saw sinfulness. He said, I am the chiefest of sinners. Anybody ever said that in the house? He said that. Paul said, I'm the chiefest. He persecuted the Christians. He killed the Christians. He knew the hard darkness and the sinful heart that he had and what it could happen to people's life. He also was beaten again and again by sinful men. He was stoned, not recreationally speaking. You know what I'm saying. He was stoned with rocks. He was whipped again and again and again and again. And now he's in prison for preaching the gospel. And so he had experienced the depths of the darkness of a sinful heart of mankind. At the same time, stay with me, he had experienced the goodness of God in the way many people hadn't. He was either walking along or riding on a horse one day when a light blinded him and God touched him with a very personal touch of the presence of God. And he's had those moments with God. God stirred him. God called him. God empowered him. He was called up to the third heaven at one time. I think it was when he was stoned at Lystra and left for dead. 
And he saw things others had never seen, a higher place than any man that he ever spoke to in Philippi had ever gone. Because of what he had seen, he wanted to help the Philippians to see things they had never witnessed. Are you getting the point here tonight? In previous weeks, remember, he was writing this from a Roman prison. He always wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but he didn't realize he was going to go to Rome as a prisoner. And it's horrible, but he got to see things from a different perspective, and he's going to show and show people what they might have missed by what he saw by the goodness of God and by the severity of the fact that he was a chiefest of sinners. So he says, and we're going to go along in the Bible tonight. If you want to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, I think it would be very apropos or germane, whatever you want to call it. We're going to go to it right now. We're going to go to Philippians 3 and 1. It's going to be on the screen. If you just want to look at it on the screen, that's fine. If you want to write notes, you can. He says in Philippians 3 and 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Everybody say rejoice in the Lord. We'll camp out on this. It's no trouble for me, he said, to write the same thing to you again. Rejoice. And in the original, he said rejoice, 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 rejoice. He said it four times. In other words, he said that is the safeguard for you. What you need to understand, if you want to be safe in this thing called the church, you need to rejoice in the Lord. You need to rejoice in the Lord. Anybody mind clapping their hands and starting this Bible study tonight saying, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to do that. He realized that some people were vulnerable to the lies of the enemy because of what he had experienced. He saw the danger of some different things that the Philippian Christians could unknowingly slip into, and he wanted to present the truth as a safeguard. Let me give you a little backstory on this, if you don't mind. When Jesus came, folks, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. You believe that? That's the gospel. The first century believers were taking the message of the gospel out. And they first took the message, if you read Acts 1 through 7, they took it to the Jewish population. And then the message of the gospel went to the Samaritans, and they were half Jews and half Gentiles. We won't get into that because we don't have time. And so it was kind of acceptable but kind of questionable. And the Jews were wondering, can you really do that? Well, at least they said they're partly Jewish, and so, yes, you can do that. And that's in Acts 8. You'll read the story of Samaria. But in Acts 10, Pete went down to Cornelius' house, and he went past the Jews and past the Samaritans, and they took the gospel to the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, we're going to talk now, the strict Jewish Christian leader said, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Gentiles can't become Christians. They first have to become Jewish and follow Jewish law before they can become Christians. And one of the big arguments was they need to be circumcised. I know that's a tough word to talk about with a mixed congregation. Imagine the tough sale that would be to a grown man. He would say, oh, God, really? Come on, Jesus. Help me out of this. And the old priest would have his scalpel out, and he said, wow, you think baptizing men's hard. Try giving an altar appeal. And say, come on down, guys, let's do that. You love Jesus? Prove it. I'm going to move on. A lot of tensions in the Gentiles. <laughs> Can I become a Christian? No, you first have to follow Jewish law. There was a huge debate that followed in Acts chapter 15 at the conference in Jerusalem. They battled it out. And they determined, okay, here's the technical call. You ready for this? You're going to love this. You don't have to first become Jewish 
And you don't have to follow Jewish law to become a Christian. Somebody ought to clap their hands to that because that's pretty good stuff. In fact, Peter said, there's no greater burden. You shouldn't put a greater burden on these people that have come to trust in the cross of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ, everybody say, fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled it. Suddenly, Paul and the others were set free to take the message of the gospel, the gospel to the world. So he went to Philippi and other places and said, all you need is Christ to be right with God. Somebody said, all you need is Christ. It's Christ to be right with God. Wow. There was another group that followed him known as Judaizers. They were called Judaizers, and Judaizers were often Jewish and sometimes Gentile that had been, had been brought in, proselyted in, who believed this, and they would say, no, 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 no. First, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the rules. And the Judaizers would follow Paul and say that Paul was doing some good things, but there was more. You still need to follow Jewish law to really be the true Christians that God wanted you to be. But of what he experienced, he saw some dangers that they didn't see. And he said, I want to help you see three dangers, and I want to talk about them tonight. That's in the third chapter of the book of Philippians. I want you to be aware of them. The first is you need to see the dangers of legalism. I want you to say the danger of legalism. What is legalism? Simply, glad you asked, it's substituting rules for relationships. Say it with me. It's substituting rules for a relationship. It's saying, I'm going to be made right with God by what I do or don't do according to a set of rules. I'm going to teach right now, folks, and I want you to listen and nobody go to the bathroom right now. You need to hear this. It could be biblical rules. It could be man-made rules. It could be Jewish rules, or it could be rules of an organization. There's a lot of organizations today that are still making rules that are different from other organizations' rules. And you've got to follow those particular rules if you're in that particular organization. And really, the relationship with Jesus Christ is not just necessarily about rules. It's about relationship. Now, in second, the second verse, Paul says, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for them. What he was doing was taking a jab at those Jews because they often called Gentiles dogs. And Paul was shooting it right back at them. Oh, say, you going to call us this? I'm going to call you this, big boy, because you're a dog. You're trying to get people to go to God through rules that you have created instead of a relationship of his death, burial, and resurrection of what he did for us at Calvary. Folks, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you something right now. This church, this church that you're in is about the love of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. Are you with me? We are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. Somebody ought to get excited about that right now. Watch this in verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, who, those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about circumcision here. It's gross. I put gross. 
But that's what he's talking about. Now watch verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision. In other words, our hearts have already been cut back. We've been spiritually circumcised. He's taken the old heart out of us and given us a brand new heart. He's removed the heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. Watch this. Who we worship, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, what does that mean? That's not like me and my skin, but it means we don't put confidence in being right with God in our human effort. It's not about how good we are and all the bad stuff we stop doing. We don't put any confidence in this flesh. Will you let me talk to you? He said in verse 4, though I myself have reason for such confidence. In other words, he said, Hey, if there's anybody who could put confidence in their flesh, I could. And that's what he's saying very directly here. Verse 4, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, he said, I have more. Because you don't know what I've experienced. I'm fixed to tell you what I've experienced. He offers his religious resume. Now watch this in verse 5. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel in the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, verse 6, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legal righteousness, I was faultless. He's not bragging on himself. That's what he was. He said, I was born of the right group. I was in the elite of the elite. As a Pharisee was saying, I obeyed more laws and rules than you could even count. I got it all right. In our world, it's like, like saying my daddy was Billy Graham and my mother was Teresa. That's what he's saying right there. And you know, I was dedicated as a baby. I was also baptized as a believer as an adult. I grew up in a Christian school. I got my master's of divinity and such and such. And you know, I love Christian literature and I also speak in tongues. I just cover it all. Paul said, I got it. I know what it's about. I got this thing covered. I was born the right place. I behaved the right way. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's implying that Pharisees didn't just listen to the Ten Commandments, obey the Ten Commandments. They obeyed 613 laws. Folks, I'm teaching you something here. Okay, 613, and there were some whacked out crazy ones too. I'm going to give you three Sabbath laws. That's three of the 613. Here's one of them. You can't eat an egg laid by a chicken on the Sabbath. That's that's a law. Now I know why Chick-fil-A closes on Sunday. I'm teasing. That That was bad. That wasn't a good joke. I can do better. There's, there's another one that said if you got bitten by a mosquito on the Sabbath, you couldn't scratch it because that would be work. I'd find myself a place behind the barn. I'd scratch that mosquito bite. Here's one for the ladies. You're not allowed to look in a mirror or any kind of reflective, reflective glass on the Sabbath because you might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I wish I was. That's the real deal. And we look at that and we say, that's ridiculous. I mean, 
who would consider that to be things that would make you right with God? Well, in our world, stay with me now, you translate that into whatever the legalistic environment could be. All right? Well, I'm right with God because I go to church and never miss. And I thank God that you go to church because I've preached to pews and it's not a lot of fun. I go not only on Sunday morning, but I go on Sunday night, even if there's a big football game on Sunday night or a basketball game coming on. I go to prayer meeting. I pray at least an hour a day. If you pray only 58 minutes, you're not as righteous as I am. I read my Bible. In fact, I read the Bible through this year already. I read it through every year. Or I'm not bad like those other people, and then we define our righteousness by what we don't do. You know, I don't go to R-rated movies, even The Passion of the Christ, because it was rated R. I didn't go watch it. You know, I don't listen to secular music. I want, I want to confess something. I used to preach against secular music. I really did. Someone told me it was bad and evil, and I was, I was about 19, 20, and I just started my ministry, and I said, well, I'm going to preach against it. That's a good thing to preach against. So I got up and started preaching against it. And if my friends were listening to secular music, I would warn them of the consequence, and I'd get behind them, and I'd say, I rebuke that devil in Jesus' name. <laughs> well, they weren't looking. And to this day, I listen, really, I listen to worship music. But I kind of like that happy song. I'm sorry. I guess I'm going to go to the pit where I put everybody else. But I was a legalistic young man where you can't be right with God and do this, and so many get sucked into that performance mindset. Now, listen. And what does legalism do? I'm going to tell you what it does. It leads to false guilt when we do something wrong, and it leads to false confidence. It leads to false guilt when we do something wrong, and it leads to false confidence. There's many Christians today who absolutely beat themselves up and have no joy, and they're always walking around saying, I failed, I'm not right with God, I'm a loser, I'm no good because they made a mistake. That's wrong. That's legalism. And the flip side of that is a false confidence. Hey, look at me. I'm better than them. I go to the right kind of church. My worship is the right way. The way we do it is right and everybody else is wrong. And Paul said, watch that. Watch out for that. Be careful. You had an experience. If you've experienced what I've experienced, you see what I see. These are false teachers. They're false teachers. And there are those who are going to take the gospel of Christ and add something to it. And you're going to slip into something that's going to hurt you down the road. You're going to get into a performance issue. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ is the one that performs. We worship the performance of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible said when he was born that there would be a performance in his life, and Jesus is still performing for the church today. Anybody been healed? Anybody been saved? Come on now. Let's rejoice a little bit. Anybody been delivered? Anybody been set free? Come on, let's clap for him right now. Let's just go ahead and clap for him right now. Woo! He said, watch out. Watch out for those kind of people that get you sucked into that legalism that makes you feel guilty when there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Hallelujah. Watch out for those if you've experienced what I've experienced. Don't let what others add rob you of the pureness of what Christ wants to give you in your life. Some of you, you grew up like this. Others of you, you're stuck in it right now. You're feeling guilty, 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 guilty. You come to church every service feeling guilty. 
because you've had a bad thought, because you've made a word, you spoke a word, because you have fussed at your kids, because you have fussed at your husband, and he fussed right back. Some of you had to wait in the car before you got your little temper down to come into church. And hell wants you to be destroyed by that. And the devil is a liar. And he's the father of lies. Amen. Others, people, they get puffed up. They say, I wouldn't go to a church like that that preaches that kind of liberty and doesn't at least put some kind of guilt on people like that CLC and that CLC this and that CLC that and you know and let me tell you what you're full of pride you really are you got a false confidence in something that doesn't add up to your standing it's all about Christ listen let me tell you what it is it's Christ plus nothing equals everything I'm not giving you a license to sin. I'm not giving you a license to sin or a license for lascivity. I'm not giving you that tonight. I'm just telling you that Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross. Jesus Christ took the blame for us. We should have died, but we didn't die. But bless your heart, I'm going to live because he died. I'm going to share the joy of his resurrection. I'm not going to let hell beat me down because I make a mistake every now and then. I'm going to live for God because he arose. Come on, some of you people. It's time to rise up and let this church be full of the praises of God. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Everybody say, Christ plus nothing equals everything. Paul said, there's a danger of legalism. The second thing there's a danger of is worldly distractions. Everybody say distractions. Don't let this world distract you. Amen. All of us can get so easily distracted by things that don't even matter. I was coming home from preaching in San Antonio one, one day years ago, driving a little old Honda, and I saw a tape on the floor that I really wanted to hear the music of. Right down there in that floorboard, not this one, that and over there. And so I consider myself pretty ambidextrous, amphibious, whatever you want to call it. So I held the wheel, and I'm looking, and I'm reaching, and I can't feel it. And I glance, boom, the wheel. Hit a culvert, destroys the tire, destroys the rim. I'm going 70 to 75 miles an hour. Almost killed me. I'd like to never got the car under control because it was a quick blowout and the, and the, and the wheel was damaged also. I had made $500 for that speaking engagement. It cost me five fifty to fix it. I said, God, <laughs> I paid my tithe. <laughs> Distraction. I was playing golf one day in North Carolina at another meeting, and uh, it was about the 14th, 15th hole, and there was, a, there was a hole that had water in front of it, a little par three, and I had fallen a little short on the right side, and, and, and the, that, that, that pond was right there. And so I just kind of just waiting for my buddies. You know, they'd, they'd missed the green. We, we wasn't real good that day, and they was all out there, and I just kind of fooling around, and all of a sudden I looked down here to my left, and there was an anaconda 
It wasn't an anaconda, but there was an anaconda. <laughs> that snake had a body this big around. And when I tell you, I, I don't know what you can do a standing broad jump in, but I promise you I got from here to there <laughs> so quick. And I went and got in the cart. I couldn't hardly tee it up on the next hole. I got distracted doing this. The serpent wasn't distracted. He saw some meat. He is coming for it. <laughs> I read about a boy that was going to take, take, take a, a test for a job. And as part of that application process, they put him in this testing thing to test his aptitude. And he arrived at the appointed time, was given instructions about the test, and he ushered him to this testing room. And immediately, though, the young man became enamored by the utensils at his disposal. He straightened the paper on the desk. He sharpened his pencil. He shined his chair. He became so engrossed in all the stuff, the material, he never got around to taking the test. And when time was up and the test was collected, he had nothing to show for his efforts but a neat desk, a finely sharpened pencil, and an immaculate chair. He didn't get the job. Distractions. It's so easy to get distracted. One of the most impressive things about former astronaut and Senator John Glenn was his willingness to stick to his priorities. I love this about the man. It was he who refused to go to the door one day and receive the President of the United States, Lyndon Baines Johnson. You know why? Because Glenn's wife was quite ill in bed and needed his attentiveness, and John Glenn's relationship with his wife was more important than having an audience with the President. I love that. I love that. Verse 7 says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them, everybody say rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Everybody say rubbish. Now, I've talked on this before, but some of you may not have heard it. Rubbish is from a Greek word called skubalon. Skubalon is actually a word that means waste. It means the excrement that leaves a person. It's dung. And the truth is, it's a very harsh word for dung. Like it's almost a bad word. Like you could say, skubalon happens. Now, you can look that up and check it out. Paul was saying, all this stuff, all this stuff of the world is just skabalan. It's all rubbish. Nothing matters in this world but Jesus Christ. Can I get some men to amen that right now? Can I get some daddies in this house to say, preach it, Pastor? Nothing in this world matters but Christ Jesus. Nothing compares. It's dung. I don't think some of you are getting it yet. Nothing out there surpasses the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ in my life. I'm not going to be distracted by anything. You know, you know, all you need really is a near life or death experience to understand what really matters, you know. Several years ago, Patty and I were headed out Highway 71. We was going to a dinner engagement. 
out in the uh, in the in the Westlake area and was going down 71 was going to turn on 22:44 out there. And we was headed, and, and I was moving. It was in Oak Hill, and we was moving out. hadn't gone to the Shell Station yet, hadn't, hadn't got out of Oak Hill. And for no, no apparent reason, a suburban just decided to pull out in front of us. Just pull out. We're headed. I'm in the left lane. There's, a, there's two lanes. I'm in the left lane. I'm in the passing lane, and, and there's two lanes, and, and, and it's over. I mean, it's over. It happened so quick. I, I, I saw him, and I said, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. And he did it. He pulled out right in front of me. And, I, and I, I was going at least 60 miles an hour. And I just, I said, Jesus, help us. Help us, Lord. And, and my life flashed in front of me. And the reason that we come up upon that time is that Patty was late getting out of the house. It was her fault. <laughs> that suburban would have never been there. I love you, baby. But, but by the time, and Patty remembers this just like it was yesterday. It was like it, we got into slow motion, like we was in slow motion. I turned that wheel. And, and I saw, we're going, now we're going to hit the back door of the, of the passenger side. Then we're going to hit the back bumper. And somehow we missed that car. I pulled over to the side of the road. Patty can testify. We sat there. We cried. We hugged. I forgave her for being late. Because <laughs> when your life passes before you, yes. nothing matters. Nothing really matters except him. Everything else, everything else, everything else, everything else is rubbish. And in verse 9, Paul said, being found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own. It comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by, everybody say faith. Then in verse 10, he said, I want to know Christ. I want to know him in the power of the resurrection in the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know him. I want to know him. My prayer is that I want to know him, not just about him. I don't want to read about him. I want to know him in the fullness of what he has for me in my life. And I close tonight with this. And I thank you for listening to me. Thank you. Not only is there a fear and a terror of legalism that Paul preached about, nor a terror of distraction. But there's also a danger of spiritual complacency. And he said it this way. He said we should be satisfied with what we have. But we should never be satisfied with what we've done for the glory of our God. We should be satisfied and content with the material possessions that God has blessed us with. But we should never be satisfied with using our gifts to bring glory to the one who made us and who saved us. And I believe that the most dangerous things in our churches in my part of the world is a spiritual complacency. People who are spiritually complacent in their marriage and they don't even care. Come on, folks. Let's care about our marriages. People who are raising complacent kids and they're more concerned about their performance and other things than they are about their spiritual development in Jesus Christ about spiritual complacency in our giving, consuming more things and not being able to give a tithe for the glory of the Lord. It's being spiritually flat and not caring because we're not satisfied with the house that we have so we want something better. So I wrote this and I'm going to give it to you. Church is the place that we should comfort the disturbed, but we need to disturb the comfortable. Say it with me. Church is the place that should comfort the disturbed, and disturb the comfortable. Amen? Amen. And Paul was saying, watch out. Watch it. He's talking about those dogs. Watch those dogs. Watch it. They're going to try to get you into legalism. 
They're going to try to get you distracted from the one that saved your soul. And they're going to try to get you complacent because you're not going by their rules. You're going by your relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody say, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. And in verse 12, he said, not that I've already obtained all of this or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold for me. He says, brothers, verse 13, I haven't arrived yet. I don't consider myself to have taken a hold of this, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining and pressing on toward what is ahead. I press, verse 14, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, Pastor, I'm not going to be legalized. I'm not going to get into legalism. I'm not going to get there. I'm going to rejoice the fact that Jesus has saved me. Come on, I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus because everything else is just rubbish or skabalin. It's just skabalin happens. It's just that. And I'm not going to become complacent because I understand, I understand that I have seen the faithfulness of God. I have seen the goodness of God. And I have seen people who are unfaithful that turned against me, Paul said, when I had a dream of coming to Rome as a preacher, but I'm still a prisoner. But here's the deal. He said, lock me up, but you can't shut me up. I'm pressing. I'm continuing. And as long as I've got a pen in my hand and paper in front of me, I'm going to write the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wrote it to let you see the dangers of legalism, to let you not get distracted by a bunch of dung stuff. And don't get comfortably spiritually. So Paul was saying, if you're not dead, you're not done. Press on. Press on. Press on. Press on. Press on. Come on, say it. Press on. Press on. Press on. Press on. Press on. Amen. You believe that Paul could write? You believe he was a bad man? He was a bad man. You get to reading after Paul, you'll get saved. He'll get you saved. Paul will wear you out. I love the book of Philippians. Y'all enjoyed Philippians? Thank you for listening. We hope that today's message has blessed you. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.